me to the Gospel of John. Our time today will be spent in verses 29 through 34. Before we start, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that uh, where we are weak, you are strong. Uh, tells us that you are altogether lovely and wonderful. That we are to rely on you for all things. You also tell us that through the foolishness of man, uh, you, save, you save the lost. So we just thank you for what you do and how you do it how you use us as these jars of clay with this precious gift inside of us to share it with others. Lord, may you be magnified and glorified in this time. May your sheep hear your voice and follow you. Uh, may we come to further rest and enjoy the gifts that you've given and walk in light of them. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, church. So... We are in the Gospel of John, and we've been here the last couple of weeks. Uh, before we started here, Pastor and I had a conversation about the Gospel, the gospel of John, and I, I was really excited about us going into this book while we were in First uh, Peter. And uh, Pastor going full-time, he spent the last couple of weeks preaching, and, and uh, I've been waiting for my opportunity, kind of just chomping at the bit to to preach from the Gospel of John, because I, I love it. I, this is one of the books that I suggest to new believers when they ask, where should I start reading? Uh, because it is, it's just, it's chock full of um, Christ and, and who he is as God. And so it's a, it's a, it's a really, really beautiful book. And, and I, I come to this, uh, this week, I started studying last Sunday, and, and I kind of had a grasp of what I wanted to preach on uh, Sunday afternoon, Pastor and I talked about it, and he was like, excellent. And by Sunday evening through Wednesday, it, I just kind of fell flat. Like, I hit this writer's block, and it was this really uh, tough time for me. And as, as I say that, because I was kind of thinking about one of the books that reignited a fire in me, reading, um, to, to read God's Word, and specifically the book of John, was his book, The Forgotten Trinity by James White. Uh, I've, I've suggested it to a couple of people, and I think some of you have read it, but I think back on how it, it reignited this fire in me, and then sometime between then and there, uh, it, it felt like it kind of died again. And so these, these feelings uh, that, that, that we tend to have where we get excited and, and lose sight of, of where we are tend to, um, I think if we're all being honest, they tend to call into question uh, our salvation or our standing before God. And uh, this was something that I kind of struggled with this week. Uh, understanding my place before God. Last week, Pastor spoke about the deity of Christ. If we call ourselves Christians, we must know that he is the Son of God. And that's clear in, in our text that we've been through so far. In our passage today, John is proclaiming who Christ is, that he is the Lamb of God, and it's this beautiful truth. And uh, so we, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of focus our time around that phrase. But I say all that to say that I think if, if we are being honest with ourselves, there's these highs and lows that we go through, whether it be through a tragedy or a, a numbness or uh, we don't get the goosebumps that we used to get as we listen to certain songs or, you know, things that used to move me to tears uh, because, and it made me know that God was real. I don't have those things anymore. And, and they tend to make us question our place before God. 
Uh, so as I, as I thought about that and how certain things kind of uh, ignite this fire, reignite it, or quench it, uh, it, it, it reminded me that in this passage we have a clear representation of, of why we have security and who God is. You know, although our, our feelings change day to day, sometimes moment to moment, the one constant thing that we have in this life is God and his word. And if his word tells us that he is the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, it is true and that truth sets us free. It is that truth that sets us free. And that is our sermon summary for today. Uh, they're going to go ahead and put it up uh, on the screen behind us, but I'm going to go ahead and read it if you're taking notes. It is this, the Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world, and whom he has set free is free indeed. So now let's read our passage, and we will get right into it. John 1, verses 29 through 34, it says this, The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness to th that this is the Son of God. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. So, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have the account of Jesus' baptism. That's Matthew 3, Mark 1, and Luke 3. It, it gives that account. But sometime between our passage today and going back to verse 1 is when that baptism occurred. And John is giving his account. He's bearing witness to the fact that, yes, this is the Christ. This is who this is. And then he declares this, behold the Lamb of God. Right? He, he's seeing him as he's baptizing and he's preaching the gospel he sees the Lamb of God. He sees Jesus Christ. And, the, and it's, a, it's a beautiful picture of, you know, if we were just sitting around and, and someone, we had a prophet in our day, like as if we were in Jesus' time, calling out. He declared, this is the Lamb of God. This is who we've been waiting for. It is a, a, a beautiful picture. And that just kind of, um, it, just, it just grasped me as I, as I thought and tried to picture, if I was in that time, uh, who Jesus is. So as we get into this passage, I kind of wanted to touch on that phrase, behold the Lamb of God. I feel like this is of prime importance to us today. Um, I've had plenty of conversations with people within our church, and, and like I said earlier, I, we, we tend to kind of sway back and forth in, in our understanding of our standing before God. We, we don't have this solidified uh, understanding that we are truly saved once and for all. We tend to think, you know, as we act a certain way, we, we can teeter from that. And I believe just this phrase alone, the way that it is described and what John says about Christ gives us that picture. But so as I studied uh, this phrase, Lamb of God, um, I think the term lamb and lamb of God, it, speaking to Christ, it's common vernacular for us today. Um, but as I studied through, there's only two references in all the New Testament or actually in all the scriptures 
that Lamb of God is actually used. And both are from John the Baptist, and both are in John 1, verse 29 and verse 36. These are the only times this phrase is actually used in Scripture. The only other person to, to reference Christ as a lamb in the New Testament is the Apostle John, and that's in the book of Revelation. And he uses it like three or four times. Uh, so it's kind of, it, it seems like Scripture would have more to say about him being this lamb of God, uh, but it, these five or six times that are used, it's enough, right? We know it, we, we, uh, we understand it uh, to some extent, but when uh, John uses this phrase, it is believed that he either coined it or maybe it was going around in that time, uh, but this is based on what we see in the Old Testament. During Jesus' time, all there was was the Old Testament scriptures, the, the Hebrew Bible is what we call it, uh, and there are some references uh, to the sacrificial lamb that I want to touch on that help us paint this picture of who Christ is and what his intention uh, for his people. So with that said, let's uh, kind of connect some of these dots from the Old Testament uh, and pull them into the, into the New Testament where we see uh, Jesus as this Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. So the first one I want to go to, if you can turn there, uh, if you'd like, or I'm, I'm just going to kind of summarize it, is, is Genesis 22. This is the account of Abraham and his son, right? Abraham is promised a seed that would come through his wife, Sarah. They have Isaac. A couple years pass, and uh, God tells him it's time to take him to Moriah, take him up to a mountain and sacrifice him. So he packs up his kid, his servants, his donkeys or camels, I can't remember which, uh, and they start heading to Moriah. Along the way, whether it's on the mountain, we don't know, but on the way, um, Isaac is like, hey, I see the fire, I see the wood, but where's the lamb? Where's, where is the sacrifice that we are going to offer? Abraham's response is this. This is what he, Abraham said in the, in the following verse after Isaac makes that comment. He says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. God will provide for himself a lamb for the offering. Now, this is where we get Jehovah Jireh, God my provider, and a lot of people tend to focus that on these, uh, these material things that we need, right? We need a house, shelter, we need food, food, clothing, right? I need to pay my bills, those kind of things. But our ultimate need in this life is, is salvation. That's, that's what Jesus came to provide for us as his people. He was the lamb uh, that took the place of Isaac. Uh, he's the one that, that paid for our sins. The second example that we see in scripture, it comes from Exodus 12, and this is probably where if we think about the sacrificial lamb, this is probably where our minds go to uh, initially. But this is the, the, the Passover. This is when the Passover is instituted, when Moses um, tells the Israelites to take a, a male lamb, uh, a year old, unblemished, and to kill him, to roast his meat, take his blood, and, and spread it over your doorposts and your lentils. Make sure that all this blood is spread out over your household. That way, when death comes, as death comes through Egypt, it will pass over your home. Third, the third example we see in the, in the Old Testament that, that we're going to kind of focus on today or, or mention today that, that points back to Christ is found in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a, a passage that we know as the uh, speaks of the suffering servant. It's one of the clearest pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. Specifically, verse uh, 7 says this, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. All right, so with these three, and, and there's countless others in the Old Testament, we get a, a picture or what is known as a type or a foreshadow of what is to come. Death was on its way or is on its way, but a lamb would shed his blood to take the place of a people. Now, what we see as we come to our gospel, to the gospel of John today, Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the means of deliverance, salvation, and reconciliation for his people. This reconciliation that God grants us is, is righteousness. It, it is a right standing before God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, Paul says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. One of Paul's other writings, he tells us that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, right? They will be reconciled. They will be made right with God. They will be set free. And as we said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now I stress this point because this is, this is the point upon which our faith is founded. If Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and it is he who reconciled us to God, then that means that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. The Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world. And he said, it is finished. It is finished. It is completed. No longer is there a need for the blood of bulls and goats. No longer is there a need for us to try and cover our sins, to try and repay God or to show him that we are worthy of his love or we can earn his grace. It is finished. It is finished. Now, when I say that, try to earn his favor or, his, or worthy of his love or earn his grace, it, it's, it, it's, it's comical that we think that we can earn unmerited favor, that we can achieve charity. Those things are freely given. God's grace is free. It's freely given by him. For us to think that we can earn it back, is, is, it, it flies in the face of everything that God has said. We are told to put down those filthy rags, to put down all the things that we think help us be better Christians. We are to cling to Christ. We are to cling to Christ. We are to cling to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If we think about it, what could we possibly do what could we possibly do that Christ hasn't already done? Right, when we think about God and his perfect righteousness, he came and did everything that he was supposed to do. What could we add to that? He did it all. 
right? He did it all. What could we possibly add to that? Why do we think that we can add to that? Why do we try? Why is that something that we even try to do? There's multiple reasons, but personally, if I speak to myself, I think one of the things that that makes me want to try and earn salvation or a right standing with God or his favor or his love is because the promises that he's given me in his word at times are just not good enough. Right? I'm not saying that that's the truth. I'm saying that's the way I feel at times. I want to earn it. I want to do something to show him how much I care for him. But the only reason I love is because he first loved me. The creator of this universe gave us a promise, right, that he came to seek and save the lost. Why is this promise not good enough? Why is the indwelling Holy Spirit of every believer the seal that we have of our salvation? Why isn't that good enough? You may think we could feel better about it if God had written something out and gave it to us that we can hold on to and say, this is my salvation. That we, we may feel better about it if we can lock it up and keep it safe somewhere. But that can easily be destroyed. Right? If we think, I, I just want something written. I, if God can give me something for me, what, what could he give me to help me understand my salvation that much better? Right here. He's already written it for us. It's there. Seek him while he may be found. Ask, knock. Right? The door will be open. Everything that you need to know about him is found in his word. He has revealed himself. As far as we can plumb the depths of his word, we can know him. All right? He sanctifies us in his truth. His word is truth. This is what he tells us. If we think about all of that and we, and we understand scripture, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. John himself tells us why he wrote his gospel. Right. Sometimes we don't necessarily understand the purpose of letters as they're written, but John tells us exactly why he wrote this letter. In John 20, verse 31, he says this, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why this gospel was written so that you may believe in him and have life in his name. And when he says that, life can be found nowhere else. Life can be found nowhere else. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of Man, the Good Shepherd, the true vine, the resurrection and the life, the door to the sheepfold, and the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. When we understand this, when we understand what has been declared about God himself, how he has revealed himself to us, there's, there's peace in that. We don't have to look to ourselves. We don't have to have confidence in ourselves. We don't have to believe in ourselves. We don't have to look to our maturity or our knowledge or our wisdom or our track record. 
We don't have to look back on who we've been all these years, our reputation before people, our kindness. We don't have to look to any of those things. Those are all circumstances. None of these things can or will take away the sins of the world. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We cling to the one who provides salvation, reconciliation, deliverance, peace, joy, wisdom, truth, comfort, steadfastness. Cling to him. They all come from the Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world. Now, we tend to be people who kind of have this pendulum swing, right? We go from extreme to extreme, and you may be hearing me saying, if you're anything like me, I tend to be a contrarian. Uh, That's a nice way to say uh, you oppose everything. Um, Shouldn't be the last one at that. Uh, But if if you're anything like me and you're kind of thinking, brother, you're saying... To, to trust God and do nothing else. That's, that's, to let go and let God. Is that what you're telling me I should be doing at this point? And to that, I would say yes and no. Kind of. But not really. Because uh, it's, it's, it's more than that, right? I mean, yes, we trust in God. Uh, but there's work for us to do. Philippians 2.12 and 13 says this. Listen to these words from Paul. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, right, there's action there, there's obedience there. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But there's a comma there. It's not a period, right? There's a comma. So what does verse 13 say? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what does that tell us? The desire and the strength to do what God has called us to come from him. Right? Go do what he's called you to do, but the desire and the strength for it come from him. You may not feel like it, you may not think you're capable of it, but if God is taking you there, he will provide all that you need, the will and the desire, the work, the strength you need to do those things. Obedience is crucial in the life of a believer. It's not legalism to do what God tells us to do. Right? We tend to think, ah, oh, you know, I... That's, that's legalistic, I'm, you know, we're under, law, we're under grace, not under law. Well, if God has commanded, if he's told us to be holy as he is holy, we should reflect his character. That's what we have been commanded. Jesus tells us in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we are not saying to trust God only and do nothing. This would fly in the face of scripture, right? Just as we do whatever we do, rest in Christ as you do it. John the Baptist, he was obedient to his calling. He preached a message of repentance and called out the religious leaders of his day. 
uh, for their hypocrisy. He even called out the, the rulers of his time and it cost him his life. Jesus, our greatest example of godliness, he was obedient to his calling to the point of death as well. So we, as God's people, those of us who have called upon his name, who have, been, who have died with Christ, those who have been purchased by his blood, we are to be obedient to his calling for our lives. But our work, our obedience, rests in the finished work of Christ. That's the difference. We don't just work to do it to show God that, that we're these people. No, no, no. Because of what he has done, I, I do these things. Because of what he's already done, I, this I obey. And I rest in his finished work. Doing everything in word or deed in the name of the Lord. We do, thing, we do all things in faith in Christ and all that he has commanded. In our passage today, John the Baptist bore witness to the Christ. We have a credible testimony from John the Baptist in the Gospel of John. The Apostle John also testifies in his Gospel about the works of Christ uh, that achieved salvation for his people. Now, since all this was done and said about Jesus is true, now we as his people get the easy part. Right, the work is done. Now, now we got the easy part. We get to take this good news of Jesus Christ to the lost and watch God do his work through us. We get to see the lost come to salvation. We get to rejoice in that. We get to gather as his people and be washed in the water of the word as we gather on this Lord's Day. It is a beautiful picture of God's grace to his people. It is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, he has finished his work and it is now and is now working in us and through us for his good pleasure. So as we close, kind of, um, I ask a question. I kind of opened, you know, I'm, I'm all about feelings right now. So uh, how does this make you feel? Right? I want to ask that question. How does this message make you feel when you hear about the Lamb of God. How does, how does that make you feel? Well, we're going to have a wide array of emotions, and if you haven't learned anything, hopefully you learned this. We don't trust our emotions. We don't trust our feelings. We trust the Word of God. So, that was a trick question, right? There's, don't worry about your feelings. Uh, the feelings are real, but don't worry about them. Uh, they need to be seen in light of Scripture. So, what is a question uh, that I truly mean to ask you? It is this, if this is true, if God's word is real, if it's true, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for you? Right? If this is true, there, there needs to be a response to it. There has to be. If it's true, there has to be a response to it. So if we are, the, the, the answer to that, uh, the answer for me, uh, because I'm pretty much preaching myself up here, is this, if I am currently trusting in anything other than Christ for my salvation, for my hope, for my righteousness, or anything that only God can give me, I have made those things idols in my life. I have fallen into idolatry, and I am no different than the Israelites when they're out at Mount Sinai and created the golden calf. It's the same thing. 
my golden calf could just be my reputation, uh, my bank account, uh, or my friends, my family, my wife. It could be any of those things. It's, it's the same thing. It's something that is giving, that is getting the worship that God deserves. So if you're anything like me today and, and you recognize this in your life that we have placed our worship and our hope in anything other than Christ, what should we do, right? If this is true, what should we do? I didn't intend that to rhyme, but if that is true, what should we do? Well, the scripture tells us today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Don't let shame or shyness or embarrassment or anger or anything else harden your heart. Now is the time to repent and trust in Christ, to trust in what Christ has done for you. Now, you may, we've said this multiple times from this pulpit, but some people tend to think that repentance is what you did at salvation when you prayed a prayer or whatever, and, and, and that was in the past, and, and life is, 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 I've already repented, basically. Uh, but what, what repentance truly is, it's, it's, a, it's a lifestyle that we live. It's, we live a life of repentance. Repentance means that I am not only having to change my mind about this, but I'm having a change of heart as well. I have recognized my faulty thinking and my desires, and, and I no longer want to fall into that temptation of sin. Repentance is not a one-time thing. We should be repenting daily. God is progressively revealing our sins to us, right? And we should always be turning from those things. As God reveals those things in his word, we should turn from those things. We should be living a life of repentance. John the Baptist uh, in Matthew 3, called out the Pharisees of his day and said, you should be bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. It is a lifestyle. It is an active thing in the life of the believer. It is not just a one-time event. So since this is Mother's Day, um, but more importantly, it's the Lord's Day. Mothers, uh, I have a word for you as well as all of us, but since it's, this is Mother's Day, we'll, we'll kind of start there and by extension speak to everyone else. The greatest gift you could ever receive was purchased for you 2,000 years ago on a bloody cross. The greatest gift you could ever receive was purchased for you 2,000 years ago on a bloody cross. And if we think about that, we recognize that our own sin nailed Jesus to the cross. Your sin nailed Jesus to the cross. Had you not sinned, he wouldn't have had to, he wouldn't have had to die for your sins. Your sins nailed Jesus to the cross. Think about that. But he rose three days later after dying that death. He conquered sin and death. A ransom was paid for many. 
Praise God. And that ransom that was paid was not to the devil. Right? At times we think that it was, it was paid to him, but it was paid to God. The wages of sin is death. We owed God our life for our disobedience. But behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The work is done. Reconciliation has been made. Trust in him. Repent and enjoy the beautiful, beautiful gift of salvation and share this good news with the world. Let us pray.